0: Does that encourage you? I get encouraged when I realize that the gospel is for me. And it's not me trying to fake people into believing that I deserve the gospel. When I recognize that I actually can have it, that God is offering himself to me, it makes me happy. It makes me easy. It makes me take a breath because suddenly it's not about appearances. It's about reality. And that reality is that Jesus is clean and he has offered himself to us. So we're going to look again in the Gospel of John. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, we'll read through verse 14 and then uh, the message is from 12 and 13 today. In the beginning was the word, And the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that comes into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as receive him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, Even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we've seen that the Lord Jesus is God Almighty, and that this prologue of John is telling you who the Jesus is that he's going to depict. Jesus, his friend, that he actually knew, that he saw day by day, that he saw speaking and teaching and healing and tired, and he saw him in every part of his day for years, and he knew that this was God. Very, very amazing. And as he now is trying to to write this down, this gospel, this, this revealed uh, plan of God in the person of, the, of, of God the Son, John had to start with monumental uh, effect, that this is God's communication. He's the Word. He is God himself, but distinct from God. He's God the Son. These are, these are ideas no man had ever thought, no one had ever considered in, in all of history, that he was showing that the Lord Jehovah has come down to meet his people, as had been the, the plan throughout the entire Bible. And who was this Jesus? And who is it that he's going to spend uh, chapter after chapter showing us? He is God. And he is not just God, but he's life. And he is life to us. And he 's light that we might actually see what reality is, that we can know what real is, and this light that that Jesus is is shining on various things so we saw last week that it 's shining on unbelief, that there is a world that rejects Christ that the that it 's not about thinking something through it 's not being intelligent it 's not being rational it is it is believing or not believing, and that this rejection is not simply someone's inability, but it's their. When we were commanded to repent and we did not commit, not repent, it is, it's our offense. We are blamable for our lack of faith. It will be the the sin that will remove people to hell, that that. God has given us himself. He has offered us himself, and we have rejected. And the world rejects. And he came to his own. So he came to the things that that, that are his own. Interesting, the word his own and his own are actually two different words. When you look at it behind the English, he came to his own things, but his own people rejected him and didn't know him. He came to the things that belonged to him. So what belonged to him? He came to his world that he made. John says he's the creator and nothing was made that has been made that Jesus himself did not make. He came to the things that he had right to, that he as owner, as creator, as as God, had complete right to and should have recognized him. But they did not know him and rejected him. They, they, they did not receive him. Not only did they not know him as though it was somehow not their fault, they rejected him actively and put him to death violently on purpose, knowing that they were doing wrong and accusing him of blasphemy the whole time. And then it says the most gracious words. This is verse 12. But as many as received him, To them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So you could camp here for a month of Sundays, truly you could, and not exhaust anything because we're talking about here that Jesus did something. Because all of this up through verse 12 is Jesus did, Jesus did, Jesus did. And then in 12 it says, but as many as received him, the Lord Jesus, to them gave he power. So Jesus did something in the lives of his people so remarkable. He gave them authority. The word power here is authority. He gave them the authority to make a claim so bold and so almost ridiculous that the world would be baffled if they truly understood the scope of what we are claiming. We are claiming that we are right with God. That's what we're claiming. To stand in knowledge of who you are and what you have done, to know how dirty your hands are over years and decades, to know what you've done today, to know what you've done in the last 10 minutes that should damn you to hell, And to make a claim and truly know that it's true, that I am at peace with a holy, holy, holy God. That is what you are claiming. And Jesus gave you the authority to make that claim. So when you make that claim, there's nobody that can question it. Nobody can question it. When God is for you, there is no one that can be against you. He is the one that we've offended. He's the one that is holy, holy, holy. It is Jesus that we are going to be seeing as white. When it said the, the white throne that I have to appear at, how in the world can I appear at a white throne? Jesus will be on that throne. He is the judge that we will appear before, and he is the standard upon what we will be judged according to. And he has given those that received him Authority to become the children of God. Now this is breathtaking. It is not He gave you the authority to be uh, to to have your case dropped. It is not He gave you the authority to be pronounced um, innocent or ju- or as though somehow you do not have to be punished. He gave you a th- authority to be children of God. This is the only Son of God. The only one that will inherit all things. And he himself has determined to share his inheritance with his enemies. And he died the ransom for the slave. So when you say he's worthy, you have to stop and say, that word doesn't mean enough. Like, I can't communicate what that means. It's beyond our ability to communicate it. And to a believing heart... You will become more and more transfixed upon the Lord Jesus. You will be Christ-centric in all of your attitude and all all of your doing. And your life will be clean. It will be. You get no credit for that cleanness because you, in your being dazzled by who Jesus is, could not sin against him. John, who leaned upon his breast... John, who never referred to himself as anything except the disciple who Jesus loved, as you are leaning upon the breast of Jesus, would you sin against him? No, it's impossible. You can't. As you are looking straight into the light of Jesus Christ, you cannot ruminate on the darkness. It is not possible. All the darkness runs when the light is there. And he has done something very, very specific. He shined his light upon unbelief to show unbelief for what it is. But he shined his light in our hearts. He that said, let there be light, shined his light into our hearts, into darkness, into not innocent people who were simply powerless, but guilty people who had earned their own desert. And Jesus instead has given us authority to be the sons of God. Now, when it says gave authority to become, all right, my English grammar, Verdi Losh was my English teacher, and she had 1963 hair for all of her life. (laughs) I think she taught me well. I diagrammed 100 million sentences. I don't know about you but I could double underline anything she asked me to because I did it so many thousands of times. But this, when it says, gave the power to become sons of God, gives me the idea that I've got a living person who at one time was not something but now is. And if I am now a son of God, that means I was not a son of God and something happened and now I'm a son of God, that's adoption. When God says, you are now mine, and that is adopting you. So there is a doctrine in this Bible of adoption, that it's not just that when Jesus died for my sins, he forgave me all of the disgusting acts of total aggression and total rebellion that I've committed and continue to commit and will commit. He didn't just say, not guilty, now get out of my face. He adopted me into his family that means everything that is the Father's is now mine. That's, that is a claim too high to make. You cannot make that claim. You could say, no, I'm not a sinner, I'm a good person. No, I'm not a sinner, I'm a Baptist. You could say that. I mean, you'd be a fool by saying it. You could make that claim. But that is not the claim that we have authority to make. What we have authority to make is that me, the sinner, is right with a holy God because Jesus gave me the authority to become the sons of God through my adoption into his family forever that will never be thrown away. It is not a foster family that we are in that God will say, I'm fed up. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I thought you would be good. I forgave you all of your sins. You should never have sinned again. This is the same John that in his letter said, Little children, we cannot sin. We cannot continue to sin and say that we know God. And that's so frightening because I'm like, oh, that means I'm not, I don't belong to God because I've sinned. But what it is, you cannot in total worship of God with a full knowledge of God, looking at God in his beauty and sin against him because he's changed you. He's adopted you, and it doesn't matter if you set the house on fire. He will never send you away. There are lots of of kids who have gone through such horrible things that you adopt them. They will test you to say, do you really love me? You say you love me. Let me see. God will never throw you away. Jesus died for me. (laughs) That is so enough. That's my only argument. I don't have an argument except for Jesus died for me. When I stand before the white throne, I I won't make any claims. I won't say, well, I did this and I did this and I tried really hard. I wouldn't even think about it. It wouldn't come to my mind that I would dare speak in God's presence except to say Jesus instead. And I promise I'll have the air to say that. Because there is holy air in heaven that will go into my lungs and I will say Jesus' name. And Jesus is my only argument. That is adoption. Because it's forever. But something very unusual happens that's only depicted here at once. It's in various places in the Bible but only concentrated here in these verses. He doesn't just adopt you. He rebirths you. He does adopt you. And he lets you be born again. Look at 13, which were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Two things happen at the same time, so mysterious and not like any of our uh, experience. When you have a family, God has put you in a family so that there's a mind of what a family is, so that when you go into the family, you have some way to connect it. But you have never seen a family that adopts a son that they've already had. You do not adopt your own children. But God does. God is doubly putting you in his family. You are born into his family by God, and you are adopted as sons, or daughters, into his family at the same moment, at the same time. Now, that, I, I, I quite had to scratch my head and say, okay. Why would I need to be adopted and reborn? That's two different completely ideas. I understand that God came to me and without any power of me chose me and put me in my family. That's the way adoption works. You cannot say, no, I chose my family that adopted me. It really doesn't work that way. The, the, the child is in destitution, is in an orphanage, does not have any means of support, doesn't have any power at all. And somebody in compassion comes and adopts them and says, you are mine. And that means I will protect you. I will provide for you. I will love you. And I will discipline you for the rest of your life. You are mine. When you are are an old lady and I'm an older man, I will still be your father. That's what God is saying. But that same person who's adopted is also born into God's family. So let's try to unpack that slightly. We have to remember that the world has not received him, but to them who received him gave he power. So we have to look at that first. We have to look at what does it mean to receive the Lord Jesus because I believe there are countless people who are fine with the idea that they've received him. I went to Bible school. I prayed a prayer. I received him. I received him into my heart, says 100 million people. Well, what does that mean? And what does it not mean? Because only those who have Jesus in their heart truly are the ones that Jesus has gave power to become the sons of God. All right? So I would need to know what that is. So remember, this is a change of status. You, are, you were one thing, and now you're something else. And, it, and there's access to all the privileges of, of it, but it's based upon reception. Have you received him? So let's look at it. I have to say, I wrote down first, Jesus is not an idea. Jesus is not an abstraction, a philosophy. Jesus is not a concept. Jesus is a real, specific person with a very specific personality that is knowable because of what God did by, by allowing John to tell us about him. He is telling us not about what happened on Tuesday and what happened on Wednesday, which we will go through Tuesdays and Wednesdays. But who is he? Because you must receive the real Jesus Christ or you are absolutely not saved. I have friends who are Mormons that I have shared the gospel with who every single one of them call Jesus Savior. Every single one of them. They'll call Jesus the Savior. Okay, See if a Baptist will do that. No, my Mormon friends will say Jesus the Savior all the time out of one breath. Jesus the Savior, that's who they're talking about when they're talking about Jesus. They do not worship Jesus Christ. They do not worship the Jesus who is in this Bible, or they would not hold to the things they hold to. I do not believe that my Mormon friends are headed for heaven despite their Jesus the Savior. Jesus is not their Savior. Now, how long can we stand and be able to do that, that you can stand and say, I disagree that according to this Bible and not my own decisions, not my own ideas, I'm saying that my friend John Bob, I think his name is Bob, will not go to heaven. That's, that's remarkable, how daring and how long will we not be hauled off to jail to say hate speech like that. But that's what it says. You must believe in Jesus and the real Jesus, otherwise you're, it's, just, it's just an exercise in futility so John's purpose, remember, is to show the real Jesus, and he started with Jesus is God. Jesus is God's word, the word of God, and he is God. He's our prophet. He's the king. He is the one. So when we see him raising the dead, only God can do that. When we see him forgiving sins, only God can do that. When we see him in Holy Week receiving praise as God, he is God. Like John's doing that. He's showing the deity of Christ. That's his purpose. And he's showing it step by step. This is the person that you put your faith in. Okay? Now, we have, to, we have to realize that in this verse, he does give us a definition. So it says in verse 12, but as many as received him to those he gave power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So to believe on his name and to receive him is the same thing. Now, I would imagine that people preaching the gospel in English, if they could change one word in the English language, it would have to be the word believe. Because the word, the word believe is not the same. It's, it's a little weird. To, belief and to believe on is completely different. It's a different word. It's a different action. A belief is when you count something as true. All right? I believe that this thing that was told me is true, that there's enough evidence to support it, that I conclude through what I observe that this is true. I believe this to be true. That's not the same as believing on him. To believe on him means because I believe this is true, I'm putting my whole eggs in that basket. That's to believe on. So it's really the idea of trust, to trust someone, to depend upon them based upon his being true is what faith is. Do you see? So we've got some words that kind of are bendable, and that's the problem, one of the problems, okay? So it's not just that I'm convinced that Jesus is God and that this Jesus is the Jesus that the Bible talks about. It's not just that, con- that, that acquiescence. It's way, it's way more than that. I am putting my whole life, I'm staking everything on that. I'm putting 100% of my weight there. I'm walking on that floor. I'm stepping out on that tightrope. Will it hold me? Do I believe it or not? Do I step out on it? That's what it is. Jesus, if it is you, call me out to you. That's real faith. And then to put your foot onto water, that's trust. Because you know you can't trust water. You can't trust water. Water doesn't hold you up. But when you say, if it's you, will you call me out to you, then you step out. That is faith. And believing on Jesus is the same as receiving him. To receive him is to put your faith in him, to depend on him exclusively, not in addition to a lot of other things. And there is a problem, the exclusivity of Christ. Anything that's not Christ, I reject. If I'm not Christ, I reject myself. If my morality is not Christ, then I reject morality. Not that I don't do right, but I do not put my faith in my doing right. You do not put your faith in how much you pray, you don't put your faith in how good you are. Now that can be evidence of whether you're alive or not, and I promise I, I look daily at my my failures, I look daily at The things that I see, is there evidence that I belong to God because there should be life here? all right. So I'm not saying that I do not try to do as God says, but my faith is not there, I promise. When I stand before the white throne, I will not say, let me tell you all the things that I did. No, no. throw them away. God, don't look at anything that I've ever done right because if you look at the things I've done right, you have to look at everything I've done wrong. Uh, God is not Allah. I promise. God does not weigh you in scales. You have been found wanting in your entirety, and all of you must go to hell unless Jesus Christ is your Savior. That is your only hope. There is only Jesus. There is not seeking God on your own. That's religion, and religion will be one of the many, many ways that you can, that you can enrage a holy God. And that doesn't seem even possible that you could say, oh, you should be good and you should do right and you should live by the Ten Commandments. No. You should have Jesus as your Savior and be so daggone thankful that your life changes. Because how would I dare offend God when I know what God's will is? And if I don't know what God's will, then I get out of bed 30 minutes earlier and I find out what God's will is. That is what you do until we die and then we see the Lord and we live In power forever that's it we are just as saved now as we will be in a million years and that means that we have all things given to us because he gave us the right to become the sons of God that is his doing not ours and we have to know that Jesus offered himself to us that it was God who put Jesus forth to be the propitiation through faith in his blood so I have faith in his blood I put all of my efforts, all of my, all of, I stake everything, my eternity on the fact that Jesus' blood spoke for me in front of God. And that for that reason, God is not offended with me. And when I pray, I do not pray cringing and holding my hands over my face as though somehow God has to endure me. No, you are accepted in the beloved freely perfectly entirely forever you can't do anything except please god as you are trusting in your savior so you, repent believe and be released that is what the gospel is and as you hear it it's air in your lungs as you teach it to yourself it is encouragement to your walk as you preach it to your children there is hope for them that is how it works so when you say that, that God did that, and it's Jesus who offered himself, here I am, Psalm 40 we, we, we saw before. My I present myself to you. I will live in this world. I will perfectly meet your, your law. I will love you with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And those who put their faith in me are my inheritance. Why do we preach to the masses? Are we so concerned about their souls? We might say yes, but I promise the more you love God, the more you will be jealous for god 's reputation. It is right that this place be crowded, that the floors sink and sag because Jesus is worthy to have a hundred million people praising him it is not it 's not about us it 's not about the wicked people that will one day endure their own punishment. That is not why you evangelize. You evangelize because Jesus is worthy of all of us. He saved this entire... His his life was the savior of the world, John says. Why should he not have worshipers in spirit and in truth? That's why you evangelize. You do not evangelize in a man-centric way. You evangelize in a Christ-centric way. It is to Christ's glory... That there be more people to, to have a testimony to say Jesus is everything to me. Okay? That is why we say it. So John is saying to receive Jesus just in the few verses that we've already read up to verse 13 is that you receive him as the word of God. He is the authority. He's authoritative. And we live in a postmodern world where there is no authority. There is no, there is no floor anymore. Anything goes, anything is defined to be anything it wants to be. There is no right, there's no wrong. A, an author who wrote a story, doesn't matter what he thought, I can make that story mean anything I want to. It's like walking into a modern art museum and going, oh, I wonder what that is. Oh, that's a, you know, I think that's a hurricane or I think that's spaghetti. I don't know what it is, but it, to me, I like it as, and I think it's this. No, there is a way that God has presented the world. There's a way that God made the world. Do I say that he has the authority to say what morality is? Do I say he has the right to say what right is and what wrong is? Do I say, no, I have the authority to say that God was right in this way but wrong in this way. What an idiot. God has the authority. Is Christ my authority? Is he the word of God that's true? This is what verse 14 says. Full of grace and truth. Is Jesus Christ my authority? if you cannot say yes to that you've never received him there is no reception unless he's the authority he's not your savior and not your lord it doesn't work any other way you can't have it the way you want it you do not design your own salvation it's not bespoke or custom it is what god has offered you and he offered jesus christ in his entirety to you to completely replace you in front of god and you get to live while, you get to cake and eat it too. You have Jesus' righteousness and your person. You are not obliterated. We're not, we're not Zen Buddhists who want to, to be dissolved into the consciousness of the universe. In 100 million years, like it or not like it, the me that I am me will be me. But I'll be sanctified, thank the Lord. I will not be a sinner. I will be glorified, but I'll still be me. God does not obliterate your person; He replaced your He replaced your record with the spotless record of Jesus Christ. The second thing that I'm just pulling a couple of the things we've looked at. He's God. So when the Jehovah's Witnesses who are Jesus, 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 Jesus is not God; He's one of the gods, like you could be. That's not. He, there's no reception. You do not say, I'm going to make him anything I want him to be. I can create him in my own image. I can make my Jesus this and my Jesus that. How in the world can you look at all of these people saying Jesus and everybody's like, well, wait a second, but you hold to this and don't do this and do this instead. I can't see it. Yes, we judge each other, and I tell the teenagers every day, what do you mean don't judge you? Of course I'm judging you right now. I'm judging you so would everybody else in the world, and you're judging each other. Of course you are, and you will be judged. So that means find out how, how that you live your life, and you live it that way. If you, if you, before you get to the courthouse, you meet up with your adversary. Because once you get there, you will pay every penny. If, if they have power and you don't, you need to make sure that you are right with your adversary. And God is your adversary. The holiness of God is our worst problem. That's why Jesus is required to be my savior. If he's not, then I have nothing to say. So is it, it Jesus' air you breathe? If you recognize that it's his land you're stepping on, or mining, or whatever you do, is it his apples you're eating? If you think that, then that is towards receiving Jesus. Jesus is God, and as God, is, is Lord and God. He's Lord and God. That's what Thomas said. My, my Lord and my God. You are my God. Do I receive him exclusively? When I was at New Life, we had, a, we had a Hindu family come into the town, and within just a few weeks, all of the children at the Christian school had received Jesus And I told the people, I was like, listen, a Hindu can receive Jesus so easily because they have 100 million gods. What's another god to 100 million? It's just another one. If you have received Jesus as one of your 100 million gods, you have not received Jesus and are not saved. You do not have any hope because it's an exclusive. All of your bets, you don't hedge your bets. You put all of your bet. You put all of your 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 pile on that number. That is it. You have one choice. That's it. You do not say I'm going to spread it out and diversify my portfolio. No, God doesn't accept a diversified portfolio. Jesus will be everything to you, because that's the only way that Jesus is truly worshipped. Worship means worth. It's worthship. Is Jesus worth it? If so, then all of your life is given to him. And that's why a Christian will be progressively cleaner in their life. Not because they are intrinsically good, but because they are so dazzled with the worth of Jesus Christ that I will allow him to be my Lord. That is what a Christian is. We stake our lives on his being the truth. So is adoption the same thing as rebirth then? If it's adoption and rebirth, if adoption is the pinnacle of all the things that God would say, is it the same? Okay. So when we're born again, remember, we're new creatures with a new nature. We have the nature of God in our hearts. There is actually God's spirit in our hearts. We have his nature and we follow him. I mean, Paul said that, I think it was in Ephesians 5 Follow him like obedient children, you are his child. you act like him, you follow him in the way he acts that 's not too hard. You can see families acting like each other all the time for the good and the bad. You can spot normally you can spot the parents of people of, i think like a, like a teacher, I see the kids first and then meet the parents and normally i can almost I could almost say, oh, you go there, you go there, I could almost do it." It's because the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. That's exactly why. Now, what we have here is that the rebirth and the adoption happens at the same moment, and that's perplexing. So I want to just spend a moment before the end to try to make that sense. We read at the very first, Galatians 4, the heir is the same as a slave when he's not of age. Right. Even though he's Lord of all, he will receive everything that the master gives him. If you have a, a millionaire and he has a little boy, that little boy is essentially the same as his servant. He doesn't have the rights to do anything. There has to be a time when he receives in his inheritance. There is a coming of age upon which until you're there, you don't receive your million dollars, even though it's in the bank waiting for you. You're under governors and tutors. And Paul said, that's just like us. There was a time when we were under the Ten Commandments, and those governors and tutors were training us how to live in the Lord until the time when Jesus came. But it's something very interesting. At the moment, it said to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. So what happens when you adopt someone you adopted in the ancient world, not as an infant, so you could mold them in your image as though somehow you think you could you can 't even mold your own children in your image, let alone an adopted child into your image. you get to know them and that 's about as good as you 're going to get there are they already come prepackaged <laughs> what you do instead is you adopt a mature person okay so Caesar Augustus, who was the Caesar when Jesus was born, was a was a distant relative of Julius Caesar who didn't have an heir. And right before his death, he named Octavian the his heir and suddenly he became the Caesar. Everything that was Julius's suddenly became Octavian's where there was no relationship before. So adoption is not just you get to be part of a family because you were born into God's family. What it means is something a lot better. It means the moment that you're born into God's family, you have full access to all of your inheritance. You do not have to wait to some kind of elevated state to where you have to pass from one grade to another grade until eventually you get your your inheritance. The inheritance is God himself. The Levites had God as his inheritance. That's all they got. They didn't get a farm. They got God. And you get all of God, all of it, from the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you have full access to everything. The spirit that was put upon you as a seal is fully yours. Now, I don't know, it wasn't my case, and it wasn't most people's case I've ever known, that a person newly born into the family has any, any idea of what it means to be rich. I worked at a group home once with a man named Herschel McCorkle. If you've ever heard of McCorkle Avenue in Charleston, he's a millionaire. This man was the only heir of Governor McCorkle, who was a millionaire in the 20s. This man had $52 million in the bank. And I made his bed and made his breakfast every day. And one day I was making his bed and I said, Herschel, I love to call him Herschel, he has the best name. Herschel, do you know you're a rich man? And Herschel, who didn't know what that even meant, said, yep, I'm a rich man. I said, do you know you could buy and sell me? He said, yep, I could buy you and sell you. He hadn't the slightest idea what money was. He had no concept of money. He had more money than I could count in $1 for the rest of my life. Every moment of my life, I couldn't count to the top of his bank account. And he didn't know what it was. And every child born of God by simple faith in the Lord Jesus you haven't the slightest inkling what God has given you. You're billionaires 50 million times over, but we live like paupers. We come out of the grave like Lazarus, all tied up, still in our bad habits, still in, in this this and that, that all of the, the, the self-righteous people will look down their nose and say, mm, he shouldn't do that. He shouldn't say that. He shouldn't think that. He shouldn't act that way. Well, I'm a sinner And I'm tied up in my grave clothes. And he tells the other people, to not Lazarus, he didn't say untie yourself. He tells the other people, untie him and let him go. That's what we do. You learn how to live in the family of God. You follow God and you're free. Anybody want to say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So this is from Romans 8. I'll end with this. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are adopted, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. If the children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if it should be that we suffer with him, we will be glorified together. Let me read one, and I'll put the two ideas together. This is 1 John 3. In this, the children of God are manifest, that the children and the children of the devil, whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God. He said that loveth not his brother. How do you know that you've been adopted? How do you know that you've been born again? There's evidence in your life. Does it mean that if you sin that you're not saved? No, it doesn't mean that at all because you will find sin all the time. But what it means is, are you following God's spirit? Are you obeying what God has shown you to be his will for you? As you take your steps, feeble as they are, towards him, that's evidence that you're children of God. It's not, did I sin? Oh, no, I must be damned. I think I'll just eat the whole box. I don't know. Did you, have you ever sinned that way? Just one chip just won't do. I'll just eat the whole bag. It doesn't matter. Okay, I've already, I've already blown it anyway. People do that in their lives. Don't tell me they don't. I've already blown it anyway. I might as well just go whole hog. And they do. That's not what a Christian does. A Christian is chewing on the chip and going, oh, God, I've offended you. I was never in."